Hello and welcome to Russians with Attitude. Today's topic is Alexander Pushkin, the greatest Russian poet of all time. In the West he is usually known as a black man who invented Russian language. So let's talk about that. Yes, it's actually the question of Pushkin's uh, descent or his family history is quite interesting. Call up! Silence, white boy! Before that white boy, Kirill, slow to speak, let me get some things straight. Listen up, brothers. Forget all this whitewashing, black erasing bullshit you'll be hearing about Pushkin. Let me tell you a real ass story. Alexander Pushkin's great granddad, Abraham Gannibal, was chilling down in Africa. He'd be minding his own damn business. And then the Ottoman police comes and sells the brother to Russian Tsar. But Peter the Great was a woke black ally, so he was cool with Abraham. He gave him reparations and a lot of bad white bitches. That's how it all began. So Abraham's great-grandson Alex was a fly-ass cat and his real name was Pushakim. Never cut lacking, always strapped with that motherfucking thing. A real shooter. So he, so he be chilling, writing fire-ass mixtapes, getting that bread. But he be noticing one weirdest thing. These Russians, man, these niggas could not speak. They didn't have a proper language. They be bopping their damn heads off to his wild-ass boom-rap mixtapes, but were too uncivilized to have their own damn language. Pusha King was a good man. He was teaching them, spreading knowledge. Them Russians got civilized and a few years after, Russia is a great European power. But them racists from Europe started to get uppity. One of them, a male-ass French Wonder Britain, stole Pusha King's main hall. Alex was no simp, though. So he say, my bra, you can keep her, feel me? But then the French savage called him an N-word. Bruh. That was way out of pocket. So our boy Alex, he gets out his motherfucking thing and starts shooting this fool sideways. Po, po, po. The racist was so goddamn racist. He was immune to a black man's bullet. The French savage came up to him and shot him, execution style, right there and then. Fuck Trump. Fuck racism. So yes, uh, Abraham Hannibal was uh, one of uh, Pushkin's grandfathers and uh, his wife was actually uh, the Swedish woman, a uh, Swedish aristocrat, Kristina uh, von Schebech. And Pushkin, despite some Afrocentric claims, had as much German and Scandinavian blood as he had African. Uh, it's uh, quite interesting that actually he wasn't really regarded uh, as, you know, an exotic African in Russia um, because this 
little exotic blood was regarded as kind of Western, you know, not African, but Western. In France, um, ayo, ayo, he was light skinned though. <laughs> he was light skinned from the Egypt, bro. Um, in France, uh, white people who were born in the African or Caribbean colonies were called Creoles. And uh, there was a whole system in place where um, children born to black or African um, concubines could be adopted and would be counted as white, more or less. So there was no institutional racism or one-drop rule stuff in the old world, like in America. Um, hold up, hold up. Abkhazians were black. Stop whitewashing Russia, please. <laughs> So Napoleon's wife, Josephine, she was a Creole in this sense. And the poet uh, Evariste Parny, uh, who was a huge influence on the young Pushkin, was also regarded as a Creole. And Dumas was uh, like a quarter black, I think, so even more black than Pushkin himself. Actually. He looked like a fool, though. <laughs> So yeah, um, and Abraham Hannibal himself, he lived in France for a long time and was even a military engineer there. So to a Russian, um, Hannibal was kind of a representative of Western Europe and not of Africa, so kind of, I don't know, some kind of Obama type. So yeah, while Pushkin was young in school, his nickname was even the French and the, funnily enough, the African blood was one of the reasons for this nickname. Um, I think you could say that the young Pushkin, or Pushkin in general, he was kind of a Frenchman. Um, and not just because he uh, grew up speaking perfect French, as all Russian aristocrats did, and he started off by f writing poems in French and not in Russian. It's just he was a complete uh, Frenchman of the time period, you know, the intellectual enlightenment types. Um, he had a very... Uh, strange uh, for Russia a sense of humor, a very French, sarcastic and uh, sometimes evil sense of humor. Uh, for example, a famous anecdote is when his older sister had a huge fight with his mom. Um, he, the sister said to the mother that she would hang herself be before apologizing to the mother and uh, young Pushkin reacted by hammering a nail into the wall and told his sister that uh, this was so she could easier hang herself. So that was the kind of cultural context in which um, he grew up. Oh, hello, Kirill. Are we recording right now? Yeah. I had a strange episode. I don't remember much. It might happen again. I'm not sure. Yeah. Um... Please uh, pay us more on Patreon to cure me from this disease that is overtaking my mind. Well, that's just what happens when you speak English too much. <laughs> yes, I guess I'm Americanized now. <laughs> so, about Pushkin being a typical French man. I guess being a Freemason is part of the French culture of the time. Well, yes, of course. It uh, was even called before. It, was, it wasn't even called Freemasonry. In Russia at that time, it was called French masonry because it's just a fashion that came over from France. Yeah, but what uh, about his eclectic blend of being a Frenchman and uh, a huge Anglo-Bull? Was that also common 
for the French people to admire British culture? Well, I wouldn't say that Pushkin was an Anglo-Boo. He was, um, it was more specific. He liked Byron and everyone liked Byron at the time. Byron was like this huge European superstar. Um, everyone in Europe just loved him and copied him. Everyone dressed like Byron. Everyone wrote poems like Byron. Everyone wanted to live like Byron. And um, he was, I think, the first... Um, just really multicultural superstar who was admired by literally every nation in Europe. And uh, the women uh, were crazy for people who had Byron's haircut and everything. He was just the perfect um, man to be in Europe. So Pushkin, of course, emulated um, Byron as much as he could. He emulated him to such an extent that he lived almost the same age that Byron did. Byron lived uh, 36 years and Pushkin outlasted him by a year and died uh, at 37. Yes, that's right. So I think we should talk a bit about uh, Pushkin's education. He studied uh, from 1811 to 1817 at the newly founded uh, Lycee Lyceum in Tsarskoye Selo. Yeah, now it's called just Pushkin. It was a very new kind of school. They didn't really exist in Russia at the time. And I think it was kind of reminiscent of the another Russian school, which um, the Smolny Institute for Noble Maidens. It had incorporated many of the new pedagogic trends from France, um, the pupils were very coddled, um, they were isolated from their parents, um, they didn't even go home on holiday, so they spent literally all the time at school. And it was the only school in Russia at the time where boys were not whipped or hit. Emperor himself was uh, present on the opening day of this Lyceum, so it's not your usual school, a boarding school at all. It was uh, designed to breed new Russian elite and to educate them on uh, a higher level than before. And I find it quite ironic that almost half of the class later on rebelled against the monarchy uh, and joined or sympathized with the Decembrists. Well, uh, well, I don't think it's surprising at all, considering how liberal the school was planned out to be. It was uh, created to be a new kind of liberal enlightened school. Um, the curriculum was extremely, especially compared to other Russian institutions at that time, completely detached from everyday life. So there was heavy emphasis on the humanities and they had subjects like poetry and drawing and so on. So none of the usual road learning that uh, was characteristic of other Russian schools at that time. So it was, uh, there were many people involved and talking about this. There was uh, Joseph Demestre, the famous uh, French right-wing philosopher, wrote a bunch of letters to Count Uvarov, uh, a hugely important person in uh, the later Russian Empire, who was uh, at one point completely responsible for the education. Um, in Russia, and uh, he wrote basically that uh, this this type of school that would uh, spread out over the whole country later 
uh, was very bad for Russia and would end up producing the kind of revolutionaries it did. So it was kind of obvious to people who had already lived through this in France, but not in Russia yet. So it was a small liberal arts college, more or less, and it produced people who were very detached from real life and didn't really have the kind of military or administrative or scientific even uh, skills that would be should be asked of a Russian elite. Um, by 1837, of the 30 graduates who had finished the Tsarskoselsky Lycee, nine had already died. They died in duels or were sentenced to death for rebelling against the Tsar or died from venereal diseases or alcoholism. Basically, the Tsarskoselsky Lycee produced Russia's Club 27. <laughs> yeah, it kind of reminds me of uh, the Vesha higher school of economics in Moscow right now. But uh, of course, it was way more talented and based. Yes, that's true. But the trend stays, stays the same, that uh, the leading schools and universities of Russia produce its enemies, spiritual and political enemies. Yes, Pushkin's family were also incredible Francophiles. They were basically, uh, they were laughing so hard that even Frenchmen could mistake them for being French. It's especially funny in the context that Russian... Um, that at that time uh, France was ruled by someone whose French was literally worse than that of the Russian ruler. So it's kind of surprising fact maybe, but Tsar Alexander I uh, spoke better and cleaner upper class French than Napoleon did. And uh, so French nobles basically regarded Russian nobles as part of the family. And the dad and uncle of Pushkin, uh, Sergei and Vasily, they had so intense Francophilia that they were regarded as a little strange even in Russia, where Francophilia was the norm. So they had both huge uh, personal libraries of French literature, they talked to their friends in French in the house of um, Sergei Pushkin, uh, Alexander's dad. Um, there were plays in, staged in France and uh, little Alexander basically grew up in, in little France, uh, submerged in Russia. I guess it made him his perspective on Russian culture a bit different. He was born a foreigner inside his own country so he had much more interest to of russian culture of russian folklore than typical russians did because uh, for him it was quite exotic and he always uh, loved hearing these stories from his russian nurse arina radionovna about how actual russians lived and what they believed in he found that fascinating yes what uh, is a quite interesting document, I think, is what the director of the Tsarskoselsky Lycee, um, Engelhardt, a German, uh, wrote about Pushkin. Uh, this text, I have translated it, is uh, something Engelhardt wrote when Pushkin was 15 years old. Pushkin's highest and ultimate goal is to shine with poetry, but he can find, hardly find a solid foundation for this because he is afraid of any serious learning, and his mind 
having neither insight nor death is completely superficial. It is a French mind. And that is still the best thing that can be said of Pushkin. His heart is cold and empty. There is no love or religion in it. Perhaps it is as empty as the youthful heart has never been. Tender and youthful feelings are humbled in him by imagination, desecrated by all the erotic works of French literature, which when he entered the Lyceum he knew almost by heart, as a worthy acquisition of his initial education. So, as he said before, uh, Pufkin was regarded as an, just a decadent, hedonistic Frenchman, even by the super francophile cultural standards of his time. It proves the saying that walks start at Calais quite clearly, that Pushkin was uh, not a white man, but a French. He was French. <laughs> yeah, uh, so it was also quite funny that he completely failed his math exam when he was uh, enrolling in Tsarskoselsky Lyceum. But nevertheless, uh, it didn't matter for the committee. They let him through because he was well-read, he knew French perfectly, and that uh, mattered way more than the hard sciences. By the age of 12, Pushkin has read most of the essential Greeks, French philosophers like Rousseau and Voltaire, uh, Russian writers uh, such as Dzerzhavin, Karamzin, Lomonosov. So he was exceptionally well-read even by the standard of the time. Yes, this is true. Uh, Pushkin combined a kind of um, very broad and very deep and uh, classical liberal education with completely wild and uh, savage habits that he picked up from his friends uh, with whom he conversed uh, during his studying at the Tsarskoselsky Lycée. Because Pushkin was friends with a unit of hussars who had their barracks not far from the Lyceum. So the hussars were Pushkin's best friends because they were soldiers, they were officers, they were wild and noble and heroes. And they took Pushkin, young Pushkin, um, who was a teenager still at that point, they took him on their drinking bouts, they took him to Brussels, and uh, Pushkin made the acquaintance of prostitutes quite early, which I think uh, has kind of influenced his relationships with women in his later life. So it was quite interesting when he... My name, Sasha. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> yes, he was a total player. I'm not sure what were morals of the time like uh, regarding courting females, because I believe he was no different than a modern-day uh, Tinder cell that uh, is used to hook up every single weekend with a new girlfriend. Well, that's possible, but uh, that just confirms uh, basically what uh, Gogol said about Pushkin, and in many ways uh, the famous quote of Gogol that Pushkin is the Russian man in his development as he may appear in 200 years. And I think this is quite true. Mm. Pufkin lived yeah. in the future. That's why he's so relevant. And I was uh, initially, when I read my first Pushkin, uh, not the poetry. Poetry, I was taught from the age of four, I guess. Uh, it was forced uh, upon me. So I guess a lot of kids in Russia 
come to not understand Pushkin or slightly resent him because he is forced down upon the parents and the teachers from the early on. But uh, the first thing that I read by my will was Captain's Daughter. And I was really struck that it was actually not even easy to read. It was like a man of my age, a contemporary excellent writer wrote it. I could not believe it that it was written in the first half of the 19th century because it's so different from any other writer of the time. Yes, that's true. And uh, I think there is much truth in reimagining Pushkin as a contemporary um, as Logo has said on Twitter, um, that Pushkin basically lived a SoundCloud rapper's life. And it's very easy to imagine, you know, face-tatted Pushkin coming down from a Xanax and champagne bender, uh, taking an Uber home after a late night of partying with ballerinas and flakes of snow in the streets and the streetlight glow and uh, Pushkin just coming home to his mansion. Airbnb mentioned yeah. that he rented out <laughs> to flex on Instagram. Yeah, I think that we should make a quick guide for our listeners who don't know Russian. How to read Pushkin and where to start. I would recommend you to avoid poetry in uh, translation and start with his prose. What is the required reading for people who haven't read any Pushkin? What is the first book to start with? Damn, that's a really difficult question actually, especially considering you recommend avoiding the poetry in translation, which is probably true, it's very hard to translate poetry. It's kind of sad that the best translations of Pushkin, which I think are Nabokov's, they not super interesting to read. And his prose is not very best at all. He is a poet, after all, so his prose um, consists of a few novels. I would recommend you to start with Captain's Daughter, because it's very entertaining and fun. It's about... Pugachev Rebellion that happened in 1770s, a few decades before Pushkin was born, and he had a, an intense interest in what happened, I guess, because it matched his rebellious streak in his heart. Uh, so he went to Orenburg to investigate what happened there by that point almost half a century ago, and he actually managed to find some people who remembered uh, what was happening back then and uh, told him about it. Yeah, it's very fun. It's uh, like an action-packed... It's an action movie wrapped in a book. It would pleasure your small American brain. <laughs> Is uh, Pikavaya Dama good enough for Americans? Yeah, I actually really like Dubrovsky as well. Yeah, I, I, I very much like Dubrovsky as well, but uh, it's... I don't know if it's a good place to start because it's unfinished. Uh, like, sadly, many of Pushkin's great projects were unfinished. And, of course, uh, yeah, Pico Vaidama, so Queen of Spades in English. Uh, it's uh, also a very interesting short story. Uh, it's one of those he wrote in Bordino, 
very productive episode in Pushkin's life. Yeah, I think um, Queen of Space should be your next uh, send-off point after the captain's daughter, simply because Pushkin is engaging here in the fantastic a bit. So supernatural elements, uh, which were still a bit rare in the kind of realistic prose that was in vogue at that point. Um, so yeah, you should read that as well. Dubrovsky also, and but I, actually I am not sure I agree uh, with that you shouldn't uh, read um, uh, the poetry in English at all if you don't speak any Russian. There is, I think, it depends the, on the translation. I am not sure. It depends on the translation. There are some good translators. There are less good translators. I think um, if you have any, you know interest in poetry overall i think you should read nabokov's anegin uh, nabokov's translation is very good i think as far as i know it it's uh, not uh, because he stays close to the original he tries to really capture what pushkin was trying to say and he does this better than other translators whose translations maybe work better as standalone poems but they don't uh, translate the connotations and emotions of Pushkin as well as Nabokov does, since Nabokov is uh, just a great writer and philologist himself. Yeah, it's uh, quite good. I just checked the most popular translation, it was really bad. Uh, I guess, uh, yeah, he just didn't really care for rhymes. <laughs> Anyway, um, returning to the point uh, I said earlier, the Gogol quote uh, about Pushkin being a man of the future, uh, it's actually very interesting because I think that all of Russian literature is centered on Pushkin in a way that is just not there for other authors. And I think it's a bit dishonest, actually, to call this time period the golden age because there was really no one except Pushkin. Um, all the others are second rate at best, uh, like um, Zhukovsky or um, who was there? Um, the old guard, um, like uh, Dirjavin or Yizakov, Vyazemsky. They were like um, very, especially people of Dirjavin's generation, they were very caught up in the classicism of the period and they didn't make anything new or, or exciting and the best eastern european level of literature yes and yeah about Zhukovsky, there was a funny episode when pushkin completed his uh, major work the poem ruslani ludmila Zhukovsky, who was quite uh, quite famous at the time, he was a romantic poet, he presented Pushkin his portrait <laughs> uh, with an inscription to the victorious pupil from the defeated master. So Zhukovsky submitted to Pushkin's will as early as in 1820, when Pushkin was 20 or 21 years old. The old guard has admitted they are nothing compared to him. Yes, and even his contemporaries of the same generation, like Baratinsky or Batyushkov, they are a lot worse than Pushkin himself. So really the only one who could be comparable is Lermontov, I think. 
but he got famous only like uh, 20 years later and uh, so he wasn't really a contemporary in the sense of um, being read at the same time yeah and the russian golden age came in the 60s or 70s yes that's true and that's because a generation grew up on pushkin um basically and this were all people who were spawned by pushkin and not by the other uh, poets we have named pushkin builds in a way on uh, those who came before him as well on Dzerzhavin, on krylov especially um in his uh, prose and in his uh, fairy tales that he wrote which are also pretty good but i think um the most interesting thing is that Pushkin is kind of the king of Russian language, as much as you can sell. Pushkin is responsible, in my opinion, for the biggest bluff in Russian history, which is that Russia is this uh, huge, great culture of uh, his world historical importance. And Pushkin wrote as somebody would write who writes in the tradition of this huge immense important culture but actually there wasn't one it was as uh, pigdok has said it was a second rate eastern european imitation culture and pushkin made it great but in doing this he kind of created the past as well and uh, enriched the past and he enriched the future so as i've said pushkin is the center um, i think it is very well said in uh Onegin, um, there are a few lines which capture the essence of this. He who has lived and thought cannot help in his soul despising men. Him who has felt disturbs the ghost of irrecoverable days. For him there are no more enchantments. Him does the snake of memories. Him does repentance know. All this often imparts great charm to conversation so this is basically out of russia out of russian culture it's a geometrical step extending in all directions and clear skies and uh, endless horizon and at the center of it all there's a mountain a literary mount olympus and on top of this mountain sits alexander sergeyevich pushkin the divine blessed kammerjunker he sees everything and everyone he has no qualms or illusions about anyone or anything. He writes whatever comes to his mind. He insults his benefactors. He forgives those who hate him. And the whole of the psychological uh, dimension of Russian literature, the whole of Dostoevsky, the whole of Gogol, was already predicted and described in these few lines. And after all, from Pushkin's hate, from the mountaintop he was speaking from, all of the suffering and remorse of Dostoevsky and Chekhov and Gogol and everyone who came after him. This suffering is that which imparts great charm to conversation. So Pushkin just made it interesting. Pushkin took all this and he created the circumstances in which Russian literature could grow and thrive. So you'd be saying that the brother created Russian language? Yes, sir. Word. Okay, I thought actually that we will disprove the uh, meme of um, creating Russian language, but you are an ardent 
supporter of Afrocentric theory after all. <laughs> There is no such question about the language, because uh, if there was no Pushkin, I believe that the Russian language would more or less be the same right now in this imaginary universe. It's not that he created language, but he, as Kirill said, he advanced Russian culture on some never-seen-before pedestal. I always wondered what made Pushkin so great, what is the mystique? And this is where the free segment of our podcast ends. Just admit it, you're hooked and you need to learn more to flex your newly acquired esoteric knowledge on a random art hole that you have a crush on. Free yourself from tedious American monoculture and subscribe to Russians with Attitude to get full access to weekly episodes from the forbidden part of the world. Thank you.